so would you stand uh, and remain standing as we hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 6, 7 to 15. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Naomi. If my conversations about this topic today with people over the last few days are any indication, there is a lot to say here today about this line, give us this day our daily bread. And I think tip-off is at what? 5.05? I promised Jim I would be done at least 30 minutes after that, just to test everyone's commitment. And also that I'll cheer for Duke next Saturday, so it's all, it's all good. Let's pray, and then we will talk about the Lord's Prayer. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. All desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Lord, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Give us this day our daily bread. This might be the most commonly prayed line in the Lord's Prayer, right? the most common kind of prayer. Right? You watch movies, you'll see atheists pray prayers of petition. This is what human beings do. They reach out to the divine being when they need help or need something or have a desire. This is a common kind of prayer, and yet I think it's possibly the most abused and most misunderstood kind of prayer. Right? We often use prayers of petition to God as a last resort. Right? You use prayers of petition when you can't DIY it. When you run out of your own strength, when you run out of your own help, when you run out of your own money, then you pray. Prayers of petition to ask for God to make up the gap in whatever you can't do for yourself. And we treat God like the genie right, in Aladdin where we rub the little lamp and we ask for things that we want or like the vending, the divine vending machine. You just, you come to church like four times in a row and then you're like, you have a whole dollar and you can put it in the machine and get something out that you want. And 
or just the big man upstairs like a benevolent grandfather who helps you out when you need help. And prayer becomes a last resort. It becomes a transactional tool, a way to get something we want from God. And while most of what I just said would be rejected by almost all of you were I to ask you if you agreed with it, this is still how we often pray anyway. (laughs) Even as we reject this kind of prayer, we still treat God this way. We still treat prayer this way. And even though we reject the paradigm, we still operate out of it. So today, talking about this Uh, line, give us this day our daily bread, I want to help shift our paradigm a little bit when it comes to asking God for things, to reframe what it means and what it looks like to ask God, why we ask God for things. And last week, Clay talked a lot about stopping talking in order to listen, right? You have this line that says, your will be done. We're supposed to listen for the will of God. So last week was talking about listening prayer. Stop talking, start listening. And this week, Stop listening, start talking. This is, a, this is when we come to God and talk. And here's what I want you to get out of today. If you hear nothing else, hear this, that when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he is inviting us to bring our whole selves into the presence of God. When Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's inviting us to bring our whole selves into conversation and presence of God about our deepest needs and our deepest desires. So I want to talk about at least, there's at least three things Jesus teaches here, but I want to highlight these three things about asking God for things that we can learn by reading this line, give us this day our daily bread. And here's the first one. The first thing we should learn is who is supposed to do the asking Who's supposed to be the one who prays to God, give us this day our daily bread? We often think prayer is for like pastors or monks or people that are really, really desperate. But when we read that Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he's teaching us that prayer is rooted in the lived-in daily reality of every single person. Does everyone in here besides Andy eat bread? Right? You had to have at least one gluten joke in here, right, Andy? Right? Everybody has to eat bread. It's like, give us this day our daily kale salad. Is that better? Okay. We all have to eat. When we read this line, Jesus is teaching us that the people who should be asking God for things are people who need to eat, which is all of us. This is a very first, very basic, very simple thing, but I want you to just hear this, that prayer is not for pastors and spiritually elite people or really desperate people or really needy people. Prayer, asking God for things, is something for every single person that needs to eat. For every person. It's rooted in the daily lived-in reality of needing to eat food. That's the first thing. It's very basic. Everyone who eats needs to ask God for things. Number two, What are we supposed to ask for? When Jesus teaches us that we're supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread, what is he teaching us to ask for? If you read the rest of the Lord's Prayer and you know it, you say it, you could get the impression that the things we're supposed to pray for are sort of big spiritual things, right? The will of God, the name of God. The next two lines are for forgiveness of sins and deliverance from evil. It's these big spiritual things, right? And you could think, that when we're, when we're praying, we're supposed to pray only for big spiritual things or you know, big ticket items. I want to pray for God to give me wisdom for what job I should take 
or who I should marry, right? things I can't do it myself, like big ticket items, or even tragic things. We pray to God when tragic things happen. When a war in Ukraine happens, all of a sudden we're like, oh, we got to pray. When 9-11 happens, all of a sudden you see people everywhere praying because all of a sudden a tragic thing happens and we need to pray about it. And you could get the impression based on the way that we live that prayer is reserved for either big spiritual things, tragic events, or like big ticket items. And what does Jesus tell us to pray for? He teaches us to pray for our daily bread. The most basic, boring, normal, mundane reality of life. Give us this day our daily bread. I think it means we're supposed to pray for these, at least these four things. We're supposed to pray for mundane things. Everything, what, everything that you come across in your day, we're supposed to pray about it. There's nothing too ordinary, nothing too boring, nothing too normal that God doesn't invite us to bring into conversation with him. There's no need too small that God doesn't say to us in this line, Come and talk to me about it. Come and ask me for it. Rooted in this super mundane daily life thing. It also means that we're supposed to pray for our basic physical needs. Bread is a need. It's necessary to sustain life. You have to have it. What are the things you have to have? Or we tend to pray for things that we want or big ticket items, but this is like, no, no, pray for the thing that you already have. You already have bread. You should still go pray for it. I mean, think about it. We pray for things we don't have. Jesus is saying, you've already got bread in front of you. You should still pray for your daily bread, this, this day-by-day physical necessity. To pray for things that we can get for ourselves, we should still come to God and say, God, I'm asking for this, for my daily bread. Fourth, we should pray for things that we want. You say, well, I don't see that there. I only see needs there. Have you ever tried not eating for two days? You'll find out what the meaning of the word want is, right? This is what fasting is about. You, you don't eat for 24 hours. There's nothing that like clarifies the mind and the desires and the body like not eating. Bread is not something that you just need. Bread is something that you want desperately. I'm going to talk about hunger in a minute, but hunger is the predominant human desire. There's nothing that will drive people to do crazier things than hunger. When Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, he's not just teaching us to pray for our needs. He's teaching us to pray for the things that we desire. Desire, what we want. It brings me to, from an application standpoint, what, what is it that you want? What is it that you need on a day-by-day basis? What, like I, what do I need? I, I need this line at the grocery store to move faster so I can get to my meeting on time. Right? I, I, need, I need to find my son's shoes so we can leave the house. I need, I mean, that's, that's daily bread in my house. Finding my child's shoes. I need a new phone because mine is smashed. I need coffee so I don't get a headache. I need words for this hard conversation. If we start to apply this across the board, you see God is saying, every situation, come into my presence and talk to me. Whatever it is you need, this moment, come, and, come into my presence and talk to me. Ask me, give me this day my daily bread. This line is an invitation to pray for everything, to bring your entire life. It's an invitation to have a lens through which everything you need and everything you want is filtered through the lens of conversation with God about it. 
That's what we are supposed to pray for. When Jesus says pray for your daily bread, he's saying pray for everything. Everything you want, everything you need. A vision of God in the micro moments of our lives, in every need that we have. So who should pray? This line teaches us that everyone should pray. What should we pray for? What should we ask for? God says you should pray for everything. Everyone should pray about everything with God. There's a third thing I want to talk about. I'm going to spend most of my time here, and that's why should we pray to God for everything? Why should everyone pray for everything to God? Right? If we stop here, if we stop with this idea that everyone should pray for everything, we have a very, pardon the pun, half-baked theology of prayer and petition. And this week I started reading the scriptures and looking to understand what the Bible has to say about bread. My mind has been blown. I'm not, that's not theatrical. Like literally my mind was blown reading about bread in the Bible this week. It's some of the most rich and deepest, most astounding theology in the Bible is about bread. When Jesus says to pray, give us this day our daily bread, he is importing a ton of theology into this little sentence. Let me just bear with me here for a second, okay? Bread occurs 330 times in the English Bible. And sometimes those are in the, the most central and essential elements of the biblical story. Let me just give you some examples. The very first time that bread occurs in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is the curse, Adam and Eve sin. What is it? What's the part of the curse that, that God gives to Adam? He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Our need for bread, our desire for bread, our inability to get bread is part of the curse of sin, the very center of the story. Drives the whole storyline, right? The problem, you watch any movie, any TV show, you watch any story is driven by the problem. The problem of the Bible, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. The things you need, you can't have them. There's a great um, song that I like, and the whole song is about you want what you can't have. It's a Drew Holcomb song. It's really good. Go look it up. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's the story of our lives. We want what we can't have. We, we want to get bread, and it's hard. That's bread. In Genesis chapter 25, remember the story of Jacob and Esau? You remember that Esau trades what for his birthright? Soup. Well, the Bible says he trades soup and bread for it. Bread. In chapter 45 of Genesis, Joseph provides bread to his family to save them from starvation. In Exodus chapter 12, bread features in the most significant story in the Old Testament, which is the, the Exodus, the Passover, eating unleavened bread. In chapter 16 of Exodus, God gives manna to the people, which reoccurs multiple times throughout the story, references to manna. It's so important to the Israelites that they take manna and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant and keep it in the temple. Bread. You know what's there in the center of the temple with God, the presence of God that no one's allowed in here? You know what's in there? Bread is in there with God. In Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 8, two different ways that the promised land is described. In Leviticus, it's that in the promised land you will have bread to the full. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says you will go to a land where there is bread without scarcity. Bread is summarizing the promise of fulfillment. In Ruth, the little 
really cool story of Ruth. Chapter 2, bread symbolizes salvation for Naomi and Ruth as they come back from a place of famine and starvation. David, the Psalms throughout the first and second Samuel, David is constantly talking about and eating bread. Throughout the Old Testament, famines, having no bread is a, a symbol of the curse. And then the famous passage, there's a lot more in the prophets, but the famous passage in Isaiah 55 where we are invited to stop spending our money on that which is not bread, that which does not satisfy. There's a lot of bread in the Old Testament. I hope you, hope you at least get the picture that this is an important concept. And yet none of, none of that or all of it pales in comparison to what happens with bread in the New Testament. And I'm just going to highlight two instances of Jesus and bread. Right, the first one is in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus goes out into the, to the desert for 40 days. Here's what Matthew writes in chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. All right. Thanks, Matthew. <laughs> he was hungry. I mean, this is brilliant storytelling right here. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You familiar with that verse? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I read that, and I go, then why is Jesus in his five, six-sentence prayer telling us to pray for bread? If the most important thing is not bread, why is he telling us to pray for it? Is, that, is there at least a little tension in that for you? Jesus is like, you don't, you don't need bread. You need something more than bread. And then we come to the Lord's Prayer, and he's like, hey, pray, give us this day our daily bread. What's going on here? If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, where this original quote occurs, Moses is reminding the people about their experience with manna. Remember manna? They're in the desert. They're really hungry. They're starving. God sends bread falling from heaven for them to pick up every day. And this is Moses' explanation of what manna is all about in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just track with me here. Moses writes this in Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. The Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. This is the important part. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna so that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Does that strike you as odd? He fed you with bread to show you that man does not live by bread alone. What? What? Why? What does that mean? What does it mean that he fed them with bread in order to show them that they didn't need bread? Is anyone else like, I'm reading this, I'm like, what is going on here? Here's what's going on. Is that in the Bible, bread is never just bread. That's the thing. In the Bible, bread is never just bread. 
bread is always a pointer to something deeper. Bread always points to something deeper, more real, more necessary, more desirable. Bread is never just bread. Bread is always a pointer to something else. And so what Jesus, what God is doing in the Old Testament is he's giving them bread to make them come back to him every day. As he feeds them bread and they have to ask for bread, they find themselves asking and returning to God. The need for bread is a pointer to something deeper. In the Bible, bread summarizes the deepest needs and desires of our hearts. When you read bread in the Bible, it's never just bread. It's always talking and pointing to the deeper needs and desires of our hearts. And if bread is a pointer, then our hunger is also a pointer. We're hungry people. Like, we're not food hungry. We live in an affluent society. Like, we, none of you are, like, not sure where your next meal is going to come from. So that's why I think this line doesn't necessarily ring with us. So we're like, I can get bread whenever I want. I don't need to pray for that. That's not what it's talking about. Bread is a pointer to something deeper. It's a pointer to your hunger, your hunger for everything, your hunger for food, your hunger for sex, your hunger for satisfaction, your hunger for joy, your hunger for pleasure. All of your hungers are a pointer to something. Every single one of them. Anything you hunger for is pointing you at something deeper. Augustine famously said, our souls are restless until they rest in you. Right? And we have two very wrong ways of dealing with our hungers when we identify them. Right? You know you're hungry, right? I don't need a lot of examples for this. You desire things, you want things, you run after things, you long for things. You know this experience. We have two ways that we deal with these that are wrong. The first one is that we compartmentalize our desires. Like things we think we need, things we think God would approve of, we go and ask him. Things we're not sure if God would approve of. Like I have a broken phone right now, smash screen. I really want a new one. Like it works, I can make calls. Camera doesn't work, so that's annoying. But like it, it works. I want a new one. Should I ask God for that? Should I go and ask God? I'm like, well, I don't know. He might say no. He might feel like I'm being greedy. So I'm not going to ask God. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go buy one with money. But we do this all the time. We ask God for things that seem spiritual, things that seem big enough, things that seem need-oriented enough, and everything else we just compartmentalize over here and get it ourselves. Does that ring with you? I, there's like desires that I have for things that I just kind of keep aside from my conversations with God. I just, I talk to God about things that I, that I know he cares about, that I know we'll, he'll kind of be happy with, and everything else I just do myself. We compartmentalize. It's kind of like, I feel like sometimes we treat God like a teenager treats his parents. It's like the teenager knows he can't live on his own, right? So he, he kind of asks dad for that, you know, can you drive me to the driver's license test? Can you give me that $100 I need for this thing? But there's lots of stuff the teenager wants that he's not sure if dad would approve of. So he kind of just does it on the side. I think that's how we treat God sometimes. We, we, we know we, we need him, and we go to him for things we, that we need, either need or think he will provide for us, but everything else we just keep separate. A lot of our desires we compartmentalize apart from God. 
But there's another thing that we do that I think is a wrong way to deal with desires. And that's that we just simply repress them. We have desires for things. We know maybe we shouldn't. We feel like it's a bad desire, so we just stuff it down. And there's a lot of Christianity that has told us that the main goal of the Christian life is to stop wanting the wrong things. Stop, stop wanting bad things. Only Christianity is not about repressing desires. The more you read the Bible, the more you will see this. And this line, I think, encourages us to bring our desires into the presence of God. Right? God doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, man does not live by bread. He says man does not live by bread alone. He's not saying you need to desire God, so stop desiring bread. He's saying bread is a pointer to your desire for God. This is N.T. Wright talking about this. This was really helpful to me. He says, Our natural longings for bread and all that it symbolizes are not to be shunned as though they were of themselves evil. Our desires are not to be shunned as if they're evil. God knows our desires in order that we may turn them into prayer, in order that they might be sorted out, straightened out, untangled, and reaffirmed. God knows your desires. And this line is an invitation to talk to him about them, all of them, so that they can be sorted out, straightened out, untangled, and reaffirmed. So many times we, we take our desires and we just dead-end them on earthly things. We never take them to God. And they dead-end. They dead-end places. They dead-end in the things that we think are satisfying them. But those things are pointers to our greater needs. We said at the very beginning of this series that prayer is about communion with God. And this is Jesus in this line saying, hey, bring your needs and desires to me. Let's talk. Let me hear them. Present your requests to God so they can be sorted out, straightened out, untangled, and reaffirmed. Every desire that you have can be a place of communion with God if you'll talk to him about it. Every desire you have can be a place of communion with God if you'll talk to him about it. And just like any good parent, that doesn't mean he's going to grant you everything you desire right here and right now. I was disciplining one of my children before I came here, and he said something about, I forget why he was in trouble, but I took him to his room and I was talking to him. And I said, why would you do this? I want such and such. I was like, thank you for telling me. <laughs> I, as your father, want to hear you say that. And now I want to help you understand what you ought to want instead. I don't have that opportunity if he doesn't tell me what he wants. This is God inviting us to bring our desires to God. Every desire you have can be a place of communion with God. Briefly, the second passage with Jesus and bread. The feeding of the 5,000 is the only story outside of the passion that's recorded in all four Gospels. Thanks, Mike Quint, for that observation. It's a very important story, the feeding of the 5,000. Do you remember this story? Remember it has bread involved in it? <laughs> Some loaves and fishes. I want you to hear what happens after this story with Jesus. And the, the miracle is interesting enough, but then this is what, this is what happens afterwards. Jesus feeds the 5,000, and if you remember the story, he slips away. Like, he feeds them, and he, he slips away. And the people, they go hunting him down. This is 
John 6, verse 25, they're hunting Jesus because he just fed 5,000 people and their minds are exploding. And they're like, "What? we want to find this guy who's feeding 5,000 people with five loaves. And they hunt him down and they finally find him in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why did you come here? And Jesus answered them saying, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're seeking me because you... You got what you wanted. You got the thing that you wanted. Then he says this, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's saying to them, you're missing the whole pointer. You're missing the whole pointer. The bread, the whole bread thing, the five, that was a pointer to something more important, more deep, more it's, it's a pointer to the deep reality and the need that you have for something way more than bread, and you're missing it. You just fill up your tummy, and now you want more. You're back because you're like, how do I, through a few verses later, the people are like, hey, you, you give us bread? Just give us this bread that we never have to eat again. Completely missing the point. And then Jesus says to them, as you probably remember in verse 35, he says, I am the bread of life. You want to talk about, like, <laughs> mind-blowing theology of bread, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Every hunger you have, every desire you have, every piece of bread you eat, everything that you touch that satisfies a desire is a pointer to your deeper need for Jesus. And asking God leads us to Jesus. If you don't bring your desires to God, you're never going to find Jesus at the other end of them. Bringing your desires to God, asking God, give me this day my daily bread, leads you to Jesus. That's why you should do it. Every desire you have can be a place of communion with God because asking God for your daily bread and everything else leads you to the one thing you actually need. That's Jesus. I was going to spend some time um, giving you an example of how this works. I'm not going to do that. Um, we'll find another way to, to send it out um, for time's sake. But there's, there's ways that you can practice this. This doesn't mean just like barging into your prayer closet and starting demanding things from God. There's ways to talk to God about what you want that helps you connect with who he is and what he is there for and why he cares to satisfy your desires. I opened this message with um, a prayer called a collect. It's from the Anglican tradition. It's a short, uh, usually a paragraph long. And it has a, I want you to listen, I'm going to read it again. It has this framework where in the middle you'll hear there's a request, there's an ask, but it's buried, connected to truths and realities about God and expectations for what will happen when God answers. Listen to this. Almighty God, it begins with this address. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Right? You're stating a reality, a truth that you know about God. God, I know that you see every single one of my desires. Now, here's, here's the request. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. There's the request. Then it says, so that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. It ends with, 
the purpose of why you're asking this. This is a framework for praying prayers of request, praying prayers of petition that are connected to who God is and what he, why he would want to answer this question. I'm gonna, um, in your community groups, I've talked to community group leaders about this. I wanna practice this. There's lots and lots of colics. I have another one I'm gonna finish with uh, in a second. Um, but we need to find a different way to pray prayers of request that help us understand why it matters that we pray everything that we have. We bring every request we have to God, every desire we have to God so that he can be in communion with us. There's so much more to say on this. I had whole, uh, in original notes, whole sections about intercession. Intercessory prayer is a kind of petition. It's praying for others. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, it's us. You don't eat any piece of bread apart from the work of other people. There's us involved. There's conversations about unanswered prayers and wrong desires and meeting the needs of others through prayer. There's so much we could talk about. I want you to hear this. To you, Jesus, all hearts are open, all desires known, no secrets are hid. Jesus knows your deepest longings, and he's the bread that can satisfy them. So don't wait. Bring your desires into conversation with God that you may find communion with him. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Look with compassion Father, look with compassion upon the heartfelt desires of your servants and purify our disordered affections that, so that we may behold your eternal glory in the face of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever.